Hey, this is Josh, and I'm so glad you've tuned into the Grace Church podcast today. I think that because you tuned in, you will better understand your place in God's kingdom. At Grace Church, we are living out our ancient faith in modern times, and we believe that these next few minutes will draw you closer to Jesus. To find out more about what's going on at Grace, visit us at graceocala.org. So I thought it'd be fun this morning to talk a little bit about this, polit- this political cycle we're in right now, right? And before you get up and storm out, I want to start by just thinking a little bit about what you think makes a good candidate. What you think makes a good candidate. Who do you want to be president and why? What makes them worthy to be president in your opinion? Now, if you're like me, you might have a list of sorts, things that you've put into your head that you have either experienced or that you've seen in other people that you think, I want that in my candidate. So what's on your list? A couple things that I was just writing down very quickly were words like honesty, success, dedication, track record, commitment to the laws. Maybe you want celebrity. I don't, but maybe you do. Um, Devotion to God might be something that's in the mix for you. Maybe you want all of the above and more. Hang on, that's kind of impossible. I don't know how that happens because it, it seems like we don't ever get to pick that candidate. Matter of fact, as I just was thinking very quickly about the, the people who have already been president, you can pick your favorite one, Washington, Lincoln, Wilson, FDR, Kennedy, Reagan, Obama. You can ask yourself that same question. Do they meet the criteria needed to be a good candidate? Yes, they were, they were great men. That's how they got to that spot. But, of course, each of them had pretty big flaws. Washington owned slaves. Lincoln, shoot, he failed at pretty much everything he did besides politics. FDR was meritedly unfaithful. So was Kennedy. And Reagan's economic and environmental understandings were so flawed that we're still dealing with them to this very day. So we've actually never really had that perfect candidate. They've all been flawed, and sometimes pretty seriously so. But... As we insist with increasing ferocity that our candidate represent the best of of us, we've come to this. Hillary Clinton, a lifelong politician with a rather dubious history of truth-telling, or Donald Trump, a supposed successful businessman we don't really know, with a recently discovered propensity for sexual misconduct, if not assault. Whether... I like either candidate doesn't seem to matter. I believe we've gotten the candidates that we deserve because, like it or not, they're the ones who got voted for in the primaries. And one of them will be your next president. So I was thinking about this. I was thinking about how stressful this is. And a matter of fact, I read an article this week by the APA, the American uh, Psychological Association, that says that over 50% of Americans are experiencing constant and significant stress because of this election. One out of two of us is really stressed out right now and can't wait for this to be over. It would seem that a lot of us are losing it over this election. And I want to offer you something more. 
Something better than being stressed out or not. Something that comes straight out of our gospel story today. So if you want to look along with me at Luke chapter 18, our gospel today, a powerful story. Because if we want better candidates in the future, if we want to at least de-stress from the current election cycle we're in, we're in, we've got to look at today's gospel and we've got to take this single message to heart. We've got to be more focused, more concerned with living in God's presence than the hypocrisy of the people around us. Let me say that again. If we want better candidates, if we ourselves want to be better people who handle these stressful situations, we've got to be more concerned with living in God's presence than the hypocrisy of everybody else around us. We need to stop looking to our leaders to answer all of our problems and let God be the only answer that really matters and gives us life. So let me show you what I mean. As we look at Luke 18 today, we see Jesus telling a story. An illustration about how we view ourselves and how we view other people. And maybe you're like me when you either heard or read this gospel. Hopefully you've heard it before. As soon as you hear the cast of characters, and by the way, there are only two, we have our minds made up for us, don't we? The Pharisee is evil. He's the bad guy. He clearly got it all wrong. And the tax collector, even though we know tax collectors aren't the best of guys, even in our society, they're not particularly popular, we, su- we suspect that in this story, at least, we're dealing with a good guy in disguise. He's the guy Jesus wants us to root for, or be more like, or make some kind of example out of. The sinner who stands off in the corner is the one that I guess we're supposed to identify with. But if you had been there on that ancient afternoon when Jesus told this story, you would not have come to that conclusion quite so quickly. You see, in the eyes of good and decent people in that day, the Pharisee, the Pharisee was the moral and religiously successful man. He could stand in the temple and rightly pray, I thank God that I am not like other men extortionists, evildoers, adulterous. I tithe all that I have. I fast twice a week. And it was all true. He wasn't making that up. It was exactly what he did. In business, he was not the guy who made his living by driving his neighbor into the wall to win. His word was his bond. When he made a promise, you could count on it from the Pharisee. And by any measured standards, ancient or modern, the Pharisee was a religiously successful person. He fasted twice a week, as I've already said, which is a whole lot more than what the Old Testament required of you. In the Old Testament, you only had to fast once a year on the Day of Atonement. But this guy's devotion led him to deny himself food twice a week. That's devotion. He also says that he tithed all that he took in. Now, we've been talking about tithing for a couple weeks now, and I think it's significant to note here that what he's saying is actually that he's more than a tither because a lot of people in that day would have been tithing. What he's saying is that 
He's doing more than the law asked of him. He gave more than was, was expected. That was what he was giving. And what I want you to note about this Pharisee is that he was very earnest about his religion. God was real to him, as real as the shekels in his pocket. And his religion was very real to him. He had done good for himself, for the people in his community, and they respected him for that. They admired him for who he was. And by all accounts, he was an outstanding citizen, a contributor, and a force of good in the community. Here is the candidate that we would want to run for election. He meets the criteria on our list. Even the tax collector who had come in that story on that Sabbath would have admired and respected this Pharisee. How can we tell? What Jesus says when they come into the temple, he stands far away from this noble leader. He doesn't feel worthy to stand by his side. Now, before we give too much praise to the tax collector, too, let's be honest. It wasn't that he was just in touch with his limitations, and that's why he stands apart. In the first century, you need to understand this about tax collectors. When Rome wanted to tax a province, they sold the right to be the tax collector to the highest bidder. And once that tax collecting right was purchased, he was free to take as much as the traffic would bear. And that was usually a lot more than just the taxes. And you had to pay taxes. They weren't optional. You couldn't do business without paying taxes. And you couldn't move goods from one town to another unless you had paid the taxes to this guy. So as a result, extortion was built in to his job. Do you see that? He was naturally an extorter. It was part of his trade. Matter of fact, I came across a story this week of this Roman historian named Tacitus who once in a village stumbled across an honest tax collector and he was so famous the village built a statue of him. That's how rare they were. It was a big deal to find an honest tax collector because they were all corrupt. So tax collectors were naturally traitors all day, every day. And they were despised by all the people. And so the only people they had left to spend time with were, were, of course, extortionists, evildoers, and the immoral. Those were the only people who wanted to hang out with tax collectors anyway. And if both of these men were running for public office, we would do our very best to elect the Pharisee. He would be the guy we would be campaigning for. Because if the tax collector got the job, we would all know that corruption had invaded the office. If either of these guys were trying to date your sister, you would be very happy if the Pharisee won and want to punch the tax collector in the face. So it's not simple to understand why Jesus decides the verdict the way he does. It's not easy to see why he turns our values and he condemns the guy that we want to commend and he commends the guy that we would rather condemn. But he's not dealing with caricatures here. What he's dealing with is our very hearts, the very nature, and the, the reason why we think the way we do. So listen very closely to the prayer of the Pharisee. Read it with me if you want. 
Because when we read his prayer, when we see his prayer, we get an idea of what's really going on here. What he says is, I thank you that I'm not like other men, thieves, rogues, and adulterers, or that guy over there, the tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tithe. And you can almost feel the pride oozing out of every pore of his body with his self-righteous, conceited, pompous prayer that isn't really a prayer at all. It's a congratulatory victory speech masquerading as a prayer. I hate these kind of speeches, if I'm honest. I hate this attitude when I encounter it in people. It gets me very frustrated. This kind of self-aggrandizement repulses me. And if I had been there to hear that prayer, I think I would have leaned over and said, knock it off. Well, at least I hope I would. But maybe you're more like the gentle among us. And you would have come to him later and said, look, What you're praying is true, but you don't need to do it in public. It sounds bad. It's kind of conceited. You should be careful how you pray. It reminds me a lot of when when we see an athlete do something that is athletically amazing. We don't want him to come off the field and say, that's right, I'm awesome, I'm the man. Even though it's true, look what he just did. We want them to sound humble, composed, contrite. Surprised as anyone else that they were able to run that fast or break all those tackles or throw the ball that far. We want them to pretend like they are just amazed that they had practiced all those hours and suddenly they're the winner. We want to believe in that humility. So the Pharisee comes as a man with benefits. He has the knowledge of the scriptures. He was brought up some good environments. His religious life had contributed positively to his character and to his community. And he took all of that for granted. He hypocritically believed that the good things that had been given to him made him a creature of special merit. And that, that kind of put him in some kind of special category before God himself. And even though he thanks God, He's really practicing some kind of false piety here and saying, Lord, you have made a good man. But truthfully, you couldn't have made it without the good material that I am to work with, right, God? Let's be honest. That's the smell of grace gone putrid. That's the stench, the smell that comes out of this passage, this horrible aroma that has the smell of the brimstone of hell, grace gone sour. I smell it in this election from both sides. I smell it in our schools. I smell it in our community. I smell it in our churches. As we point out the flaws in each other, in our institutions, all the while, we don't want to be honest about ourselves, about what's going on in our lives. We tear each other's houses down in the hopes that, and the belief that if we tear somebody else down, our house is a little bit taller. We don't want to bless God's work in and among us, and so we chastise and criticize and even mock each other. Sometimes, like these two guys, like the Pharisees specifically, in the presence of God himself, But maybe we don't do that in church, just social media, right? Which is why we got to be a lot more concerned with living in God's presence 
than with hypocrisy. The tax collector, Jesus tells us, got it right. Oh, sure, 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 sure. He could have prayed, God, thank you that I'm not like other men. Thank you especially that I'm not like that Pharisee. I don't pray long prayers in public, thank God. I don't pray that religious junk. I know I've sinned and I'm willing to admit it. And even if I had done all those things, at least you know that I'm not a hypocrite like that guy. He could have prayed that prayer. But he doesn't. He only cries out for mercy with this recognition that he is a sinner. That's his whole prayer. Did you see it? Help. I'm broken. We, brothers and sisters, never outgrow our need for grace and forgiveness. We never, never outgrow our need for God. We have one need. The same need every single day of our lives. And we, we have that need no matter what. And that need, by the way, is not that we just stop sinning or that we overcome our sinful nature. That need is not that we become more humble or more forgiving or more encouraging or more kind. No, it's none of those things. That is not our need. The one and only thing we need more and more of in our lives every single day is the only thing that it can actually save us from ourselves and the stresses and the horrors of this world, and that is God's presence. We need more of him. That's actually the secret of humility. Did you know that? The secret of humility is not focusing inwardly on your deficiencies or on your weaknesses. And it's certainly not looking outward at other people and comparing yourself with them. No, that's not. neither of those will get you to that place of humility. Comes, humility only comes, only comes from looking into the face of God who is holy and lovely and perfect and righteous, and then seeing ourselves and our need of him. Humility is to come to that place where we cry out for grace every single day of your life because you know that without it, you are that Pharisee. And when we look into God's face, we see ourselves rightly. We see ourselves and understand what humility really is. This is why I try so often to encourage you to spend daily time with him in prayer and in the word. Because it's in that place that we can be so brutally honest and realize that we have so much to learn. A few years ago, two guys went into a bank in Dallas to rob it. For reasons that are still inexplicable to me, one of those guys wore a mask and the other one didn't. Now, about 10 or 15 minutes later, they were both captured. And I've often wondered what would happen when they stood before the judge. I wonder if one of them said, Your Honor, I admit I robbed the bank. I admit that I did it. But at least I went in in there without a mask on. I'm not a hypocrite. Everybody saw who I was doesn't matter. We've robbed a bank. We're broken. 
So if you want to play the Pharisee game, you can. You can pretend you're better. Or we can be like the tax collector who honestly looks into the face of God, not looking around at anyone else, but with the full knowledge that grace has been heaped upon you. And you can say rightly, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And when you say that, know that it has been given to you. Amen. We're so glad you've been a part of our conversation today. Our prayer is that you will take what you've heard and bring it to the Lord with the question, what would you have me do? To find out more about all the good things that are happening on our campus and how you can get involved, feel free to follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, and on our website, graceocala.org. Go in peace.